Well, it is a joy to welcome you to First Methodist Mansfield. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as a senior pastor here, and I am excited to be able to share uh, with each of you on this first weekend uh, in July. If you were here last weekend, you had the chance to hear my friend, the Reverend Dr. Michael Evans. Uh, he was here sharing with you, senior pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church. I was at Bethlehem uh, sharing with our sisters and brothers there. Uh, to our knowledge, it was the first ever uh, pulpit swap between First Methodist Mansfield and Bethlehem Baptist Church, uh, two of the oldest uh, churches here in our community, two historic churches, uh, a great day. And uh, I had a chance to, to be with uh, Michael uh, for a few minutes uh, this week to talk a little bit about uh, last weekend. And so I just want to express to you, not only on my behalf, but on Michael's behalf as well, uh, just how proud we are uh, of you, uh, of Bethlehem, uh, the, the wealth Welcome that we each received uh, in sharing last weekend, uh, but also your uh, excitement and willingness to go on this journey with us of, of building closer relationships between uh, our two churches. Uh, in the context of this series, in a few weeks, I'm going to tell you more about uh, the journey that has preceded uh, that, that historic weekend last weekend, but I just want to say thank you again for welcoming Michael. Uh, and if you didn't get a chance to hear his message, go on our website. Uh, you, wanna, you don't want to miss that. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful message. If you have your Bible today, I want to encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. If you did not bring your Bible with you, you can find Isaiah 58 in the blue Bibles that we have available in all, our, all of our worship spaces, uh, and you'll find that on page 1154 in those blue Bibles. If you brought your Bible, just turn to the middle, and you'll be close to where Isaiah is. If you end up in Psalms or Proverbs, keep going. If you get to Jeremiah or Ezekiel, uh, turn back. Uh, so uh, that, that gives you a little help to find Isaiah uh, in, in the Scriptures. For many years, we have celebrated and shared out of our conviction that we believe that God is big. Uh, for many years, you have shared uh, these bracelets that we uh, have put together. I, I have no idea how many have been shared from this congregation. At one point, we were trying to keep up with it, and it just got way out of hand. Uh, but you shared them. Uh, you have shared them with family members and friends. You've shared them with coworkers and other casual acquaintances. I've heard hundreds of stories uh, from people in our church family who have talked about just a moment where they felt compelled to share this with a stranger who, who they sensed might need to receive uh, this very simple but powerful gift. Uh, still today, we get calls from people in our church who say, I need 50 wristbands. I need a bag of wristbands. I want to send them to, to this family who is in need. I want to send them to this person who is experiencing a loss. I want to make sure that the people in this community uh, who are going through a significant struggle, I want to make sure that they have this uh, testimony to the faith that we share that God is big enough for whatever their need might be. Uh, again, it's something that in the beginning we, we tried to kind of keep up with and, and catalog, and it just, it just went crazy. Uh, 
And, and, and for years you have done this. You, you have shared this expression that, that we believe that God is big enough for any and all circumstances that we might face uh, in, in our life. And over the course of the next four weeks, we want to build off of that. And we want to build off of that by focusing specifically on this idea uh, that we not only believe in a big God, but we believe in a big God who has a big heart. Now, now these bands, we haven't done anything like this in years, don't understand this as a replacement for the blue bands. This is like a special edition offering uh, to, to, to your collection, okay? So in like a year, these are going to be going for 200 bucks on eBay. That's my, that's my guess. But, but you can pick one of these up. Uh, we wanted to share that uh, to celebrate this truth. We believe that God is big enough and we believe in a big God who has a big heart. Because in so many ways, this speaks to who we are as a family of faith. One of the things uh, that you may not know, if you're brand new, you may not know this about First Methodist Mansfield, this is a faith community that is a roll up your sleeves and get to work kind of people. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a people, that, a group of people that are committed to serving and sharing with people in our local community and surrounding communities and around the world. It's a part of the DNA of this church, and it's been around here for a very long time. It represents the legacy and the heritage of those who came before us in, in establishing and building this faith community. I've been here 12 years, and, and when I got here, it was as strong then as it is today. It's something that's been a part of the DNA and the heart of this church family for many, many decades. And what I want you to think about is that it's not something that we have that is a part of who we are simply because this happens to be a church filled with nice people. I mean, you're nice. I don't, I'm not taking that away from you. You are, in fact, nice people. But that's not why that's a part of our DNA. It's not just because here at First Methodist we have exceptional, special people. I mean, I think you are. It's just my opinion. But that's not why. That's not why that is. It's, it's not just because we just happen to find all the people in Mansfield who were really bored, who don't know what to do with their time and are looking for things to do. That may be the case for some of you, but that's not why. That's not why this is a part of our DNA. It's because we believe in a big God, and we believe in a big God that has a big heart. And so over the course of these coming weeks, uh, the, the idea of this series is really simple. I want to simply fan the flame of that passion. I want to remind you of why you are the way you are. What is the why behind so much of what we do uh, as we think about a God who is big and a big God who has a big heart. So we're going to begin tonight with Isaiah 58. And let me just give you a little bit of context for the words that I'm going to read to you uh, from, uh, from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was an 8th century prophet, okay? So this is, uh, this is hundreds of years prior to the birth of Jesus. And Isaiah lived in a very critical, uncertain time in the history of Israel. Following King Solomon, son of David, the once great kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And during the time of Isaiah, the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians. 
Isaiah was a prophet who, who worked mainly in the southern kingdom. So this, uh, and this huge thing happens to the north. It creates an additional vulnerability for those individuals living in the south. And though the southern kingdom of, uh, of Judah would survive the threat of the Assyrians, it was still a time of great uncertainty, a time of great anxiety. And God gave Isaiah a message to speak to the people in the midst of that time. A, a message that had some encouraging parts, a little bit. And the encouraging parts were, were this. It was Isaiah saying, this once great nation that right now is sort of teetering on failure is going to fall. But after this great fall, there will be a restoration. So, do you hear the mixed message there? It's kind of like, oh, that's great, but it's still going to be really bad here, here very soon. And within a, the scope of a, hundred, a couple hundred years, that's what happened to the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom also fell. But Isaiah, Isaiah's job was not only to share this, this vivid picture of what the future would hold, but also to help both the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom to understand why. What happened? What, what, what has gone on that has led to, to this circumstance? So I want you to listen to what God shares with Isaiah to share with God's people. And as you listen, I want you to listen uh, with the idea of what does this say about uh, this big God that we believe in and, and the big heart uh, of this God that we serve. Beginning in verse 1, uh, it says this, Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say. And you have not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So here we have God speaking to Isaiah. And in speaking to him, the first thing he says is what I want to share with the people. This is a message that I don't want you to share softly with them. I'm not asking you to be a calm uh, mediator between my perspective and the perspective of the people. I want you to harness the energy and passion that I feel. Speak not from here. Speak from down here. Think about yourself as a trumpet and blast this message because here's what's happening, God says. What's happening is the people are crying out every day, oh God, why? Why is this happening to us? Why aren't you answering our prayers? Why aren't you doing what we would want you to do? And God says, you need to shout this out because here's what's happening. The people in lifting up these prayers, uh, asking for things that I cannot provide, they're starting to blame me instead of looking at themselves for why they're in the situation that they're in right now. They're looking at me and saying, God, why, why can't you answer these prayers? And they don't understand the situation that they themselves have created in the way that they have lived out their call to be my people. 
Now, I know that sounds really strange that we might ask of God something, and then when we don't get it, we blame God. I mean, this, we would never do that. But that's what's happening here, okay? So, so what have they done wrong? L- listen to the rest of this. Yet on the day of your fasting, when you're wailing and crying out for God, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? I want to read to you from a different translation, those same verses, just just to make sure you hear specifically what God is saying here. He says, I have to tell you, on those fasting days, all you were really seeking was your own pleasure. Besides, you are busy defrauding people and abusing your workers. Your kind of fasting is pointless, for it only leads to bitter quarrels, contentious backbiting, and vicious fighting. You are not fasting today because you want me to hear your voice. What kind of fast do I choose? Is a true fast simply some religious exercise for making a person feel miserable and woeful? Is it about how you bow your head, how you dress, or where you sit? So God says, I know what's going on. I hear the prayers that you're praying. I hear what you were calling out for me to do. I hear what you want me to do and how you want me to bless you. And yet you've completely missed the point. Because the life that you live in connection with these prayers, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's meant to be in your face, but this is essentially what God is saying. You, Israel, continually are seeking my blessings without knowing my heart. And when the blessings don't come, you blame me. But here's the issue, you don't really know who I am. And you don't really know what my heart is all about. And just in case you're wondering, well, what is, what is God's heart all about? Well, it's a good question. God's glad you asked it because this is what happens next. Listen to what God says. What I want in a fast is this. What I want from my people is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none, giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. Then, oh then, your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Then when you do call out, my God, where are you? The eternal one will answer, I am here, I am here. If you remove the yoke of oppression from the downtrodden among you, stop accusing others and do away with mean and inflammatory speech. If you make sure that the hungry and oppressed have all that they need, then your light will shine in the darkness, and even your bleakest moments will be bright 
as a clear day. Isaiah, you got to go talk to these people, God says. They don't get it. They're missing it. They, they ask for my blessing, yet they don't know my heart. And when they don't receive my blessing, they blame me in response. But Isaiah, you have to, you have to help them see. You have to help them see who I really am and what my heart is really all about if blessings are going to return to Israel. Now, let me see if I can illustrate for you a way in which we might misunderstand what God is saying here and what God is saying when we come upon these passages uh, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's, it's June, uh, which means that summer is here. And, and for our kids who, who have finished the school year, there's nothing in their future but endless days of summer. Do you remember the excitement of that when you were a kid? When that last bell rang and you thought, August is years away, I don't have to do anything but have fun for months and months on end. The excitement and the joy of that, that, that was really nice back then, you know, when, when you got to experience that. But uh, for me, when, when I was at that age, what that meant on the street that I lived on is that for the next few months, I was going to spend every day at David and Derek's house because David and Derek had a really cool dad. And this cool dad that they had, he loved to build cool things that we got to play with. So David and Derek were the first family on our street to get a treehouse. And not like a lame treehouse, like a really cool treehouse. And so when the treehouse was built, wow, we get to go down there and play in David and Derek's house. And, and, and we would go down there and everybody would bring their toy guns and we would have a battle to see who could capture the treehouse, right? And, and, and some of you guys, you remember this when you were kids, you know, you, you got your toy gun and you made the noise, right? because it didn't make noises for you back then. You had to make the noise yourself. You had to be really creative uh, as a kid back then. You made the noise, and then you got to decide when that person that you were shooting at got shot, right? I got you. No, you didn't. I got you. No, you didn't. You know, endless fight that would go on for there. So treehouse, that was the first thing. Then as we got older and we, we got kind of more sporty, David and Derek's dad was the first one to hang a basketball goal on the house for us to play with, which Again, that used to be a bigger deal. You didn't just have these roll around things that you put sand and water in. So he hung the basketball goal. We go down there, we play basketball. It was exciting and fun. And, uh, but, but as the years progressed, we, we got interested in other things. And this, this part may really surprise you, but one of the things on my street was skateboarding. Okay, this is like the 80s, right? This is Tony Hawk, you know, like Tony Hawk when he was, you know, good at skateboarding. Anyways, so we would go down to Dave and Derek's house because his dad, his dad built a mini skateboard park in their backyard. He built three half pipes in their backyard. How cool is that? They're the coolest dad in the world. We all went down to Dave and Derek's house every single day because that was the place you wanted to be. Those were the things that you wanted to do. But, but here, here's the deal. This is what you always knew. If you were going to go down to Dave and Derek's house, and you were going to bring your toy gun, or you were going to bring your basketball, or you were going to bring your skateboard, you knew that you were always playing by David and Derek's rules. Because <laughs> it was their stuff. It was their house. 
And so when you were playing guns, you're playing war, when they said you're dead, you were dead, right? Because it's their house. Otherwise, you just have to go home. You, you, you sort of had this sense that you always had to do whatever they wanted you to do because it all belonged to them. And this may sound silly to some, but, but I want you to think about this. That's how many think about God. That's how many understand God's heart. That God sits in God's place with a somewhat disappointing look and just waits for you to mess up and then says, oh, you can, can't hang around if you're going to do that. Just waiting to throw a few lightning bolts, you know, just that's, that's, that's how many people think about God. And that's how many people might hear what God is sharing here. And even for us, even for us in those, in those places in our lives where we might be just a bit resistant to seeing that prayer fulfilled, thy kingdom come and thy will be done right here, everywhere, all throughout my heart. Even for us, maybe sometimes that's how we see God. That God's heart is kind of holding back on us and waiting for us to get in line before God's blessings can be poured into our lives. But I bet you can imagine another way of hearing these verses. I bet you can at least think about perhaps a different perspective on how you might hear what God is, what God is communicating here to the people of Israel about what's happening among them and, and how his heart feels what, what God experiences as he sees what's happening among his people. That we would see God not as, not as the disappointed deity that sits back and says, oh, I can't believe these people. But a God whose heart breaks because of the brokenness that he sees in the world. And the way in which he is so aware of the ways in which we are participating in that breaking. Here's, here's how I wrote it in my notes this week. If God's heart is the place in which all love originates, if God's heart is the place where all of the compassion and empathy is released into the world, then God's heart is a home that cannot welcome hate and it cannot welcome injustice. God's heart cannot embrace bitterness. It cannot embrace quarreling. God's heart cannot make room for the indifference that develops when we look away from the suffering that God cannot help but see. If that's really what God's heart is, if, if it is the place where all love comes from, if it is the place, the, the origin of all compassion and empathy that is released in the world, if that's who God is, if that's what God's heart is about, then that is a heart that breaks whenever God sees brokenness in our lives, and in our world. 
A God who responds not out of anger, but a God who rather responds out of a deep sadness for the brokenness and the pain that God sees and understands throughout our world and in your life and in my life. And the question is, what, what is, how do you think about God? How do you understand the heart of God? Is it, is it the place where love originates? Or, or do we see God as this stubborn little kid who says, if you won't play by my rules, you just got to go home? Every once in a while in our church, someone will ask me a really sincere and honest question. And I know that when this question is asked, it's a question that others have. But for whatever reason, they may not feel comfortable verbalizing that question to the pastor. It's a question that I welcome. It's a question that for me identifies, it reveals that there's actually something really good going on in the life of this church. And the question takes many different forms, but the basic form of it is this, why do we do that? Why why do we do that thing over there? Why, 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 Why is this so important to us and to who we are? What is, what is this kairos thing? I don't know what kairos means. What, 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 we have people who go into prison. What, why do we do kairos prison ministry? Every six months or so, you start talking about bacon cookies, and you talk about how many cookies we need to, to take into the prison, and you talk about these people going into the, to the prison, and why do you do that? It's a question I welcome because it's it's an opportunity to talk about what Jesus says in Matthew 25. He says that when you came and you visited me and you cared for me and you clothed me and you fed me, you, you did all those things for me. It's an opportunity to, to say again that the standard of love that we have for ourselves is not what someone else might do for us, it's what Jesus has done for us. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we want to do for anyone and everyone who we can. Why do you do, why do you do disaster response? What's that about? Like, can't we just take an offering and just, you know, we'll just send some money with it. But there's people, they go, they cut down trees that have fallen down. They, they help with homes. They clean out flood, flooded places. Well, what it, why do you do disaster response? Well, one of the reasons is because a hurt seen anywhere from God's perspective. A hurt seen anywhere is a hurt that is felt everywhere. A hurt that is seen anywhere is is one that is felt everywhere. God does not have the capacity to ignore the suffering that we might so easily ignore. God doesn't have within God's self the capacity that sometimes we have that says, well, it didn't happen here, so I guess I'm okay. Why do we, why do we do that? Why do we, why do we do Habitat for Humanity? What's that about? Why, why, why are we so committed to Habitat for Humanity? Well, we believe in the dignity of all people. And we love participating in those activities like Habitat where someone who has a need can partner with other people who are willing to share. And in that process, they can have a restoration of their dignity because they get to participate 
in, in buying perhaps for the very first time that home, that new home that is also going to be planted in a, in a new neighborhood. Why, why do you take wheelchairs to Mexico? Don't they have wheelchairs in Mexico? Why do we take wheelchairs to Mexico? Part of what's wonderful about sharing a response to that question is to remind, to remind ourselves that there is no greater honor that God could give to us than the chance that we have to participate in sharing God's grace. And if you've had an experience like that, if you've had an experience where you've been able to share out of what you might have in order to bless someone who has a need, do you know the great gift that that is when you get to participate in sharing God's grace with someone who has a need in their life? Why, I hear all the time, we got people that go to Fort Worth and they feed homeless people. Why do we go to Feed by Grace? Why are we so committed to that? Every month I hear about Saturday morning, get up early, we're going to go to Fort Worth, we're going to feed homeless people. It's a chance to, to say that we believe that no one ever stops mattering to God. Doesn't matter where they live, doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter what has happened in their life. Doesn't matter what they've done. They may have contributed to the circumstance that they're living in. No one ever stops mattering to God. No need, no life, no person ever becomes a statistic to God. Every single person matters. And part of what, what, what we as people of faith experience and are reminded of whenever we serve and we give and we live out this expression that we believe in a big God who has a big heart, is we remember that we are all trapped in poverty. And we are all people who are fully defined by our need. And though our needs may vary, we still all need a Savior. We still all need someone to come and enter into that place of need to reach out in grace and love and say, I'm here and I'm willing to do whatever I can to help. When we participate in these acts, when we serve in this way, we not only affirm for those who may be receiving it that we believe in a big God and a big heart, we also affirm that for ourselves. And we remember that their need is no different than ours. For we all stand in need of a Savior to come and rescue us from the poverty that we have experienced in our life. These are not questions that should make us nervous. These are not questions that should surprise us. These are questions that we should welcome. Because the life that we share as a family of faith, it should look weird to the world around us. It should invite questions like this. Why do we, why do, we do that? It provides an opportunity for us to again say, well, I'll tell you why, because we believe, we believe in a big God who has a big heart. The only thing that we should fear, the only thing that we should fear is that we would come to a place where people would stop asking those questions. Because nothing we did ever looked strange 
to the world around us? Why do we do that? It's a good question. But I want to close today by just reminding you that there's a better question for you. A question that you should be asked, that should, that, that, that should uh, be, be something that you hear verbalized from the people in your life, not, not just why do we do that. You should be hearing this question, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you think that way? Why do you speak that way? Why do you respond that way? When the conversation goes in that direction, why do you always back away? Why do you refuse to participate? Why do, you, why do you give away some of the most precious resources in your life? Why do you give away your time the way that you do? Why do you give away your money the way that you do? Why don't you, why don't you do what everyone else is doing? Why, why do you do that? Why do you think that way? Why do you live that way? Why are you the way that you are? Part of what I hope you will remember when that question comes in your life is that that is an opportunity for you to say, because I believe in a big God who has a big heart. Let's pray together. Holy and loving God, we pray that you would remind us in these coming weeks why we do the things we do and why we believe the things that we believe. That you would remind us that love does in fact originate only in you. That the compassion and the empathy that we have the chance at times to share, it begins in you. And you have given to us the great honor of sharing that gift with others. Lord, we pray that you would protect us from ever becoming a people who would seek blessing without truly knowing and understanding your heart. And that instead, Lord, we would continue to be a people who in our praying and our living would always be guided by this conviction that celebrates how big you are and how big your heart is for each and every one of us, for every single one of us. Remind us, God, that the depth of love you have for any one of us is the same depth of love you have for all of us. May we live with that awareness as we seek to serve you as a big God who has a big heart. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.